We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. On this episode, we are breaking down some mid-round traps, some guys to avoid in your fantasy drafts because not only are you paying up for these players, but they are going to drag your team down, or at least we ex- suspect that they may do just that. And then at the later half of the show, we are going to be breaking down my Rotowire Online Championship draft that took place Wednesday night this week over on the NFFC. Tough room, sharp room as always. So a lot to discuss from that draft. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. And, and uh, today, Mario, I wanted to take a, a bit of a, a detour. Obviously, we are uh, our shows are, tend to lean heavily on best ball, but with draft season really heating up for, for home leagues, for redraft, all that good stuff, figured it'd be a good time to uh, to pivot because now lineup decisions are uh, you know a, a big differentiator between best ball and uh, redraft. And, you know, you, you run into a situation where in best ball, hey, you, you miss on your fifth round pick. You don't really pay for it doubly. Like it, it maybe, you know, you end up uh, missing on a guy or he gets he gets injured. And, and you know, you could have uh, you could have some buyer's remorse uh, where, you know, another player that goes in that range ends up popping off. You know, if, if you if you were the guy that took Someone right before Josh Jacobs last year, for example, uh, that really stings. But I, th- I think the the compounding uh, factor when it when it comes to what we're talking about today is not just uh, that that your pick in and of itself could end up not working out for you, but you make it worse by the fact that that not only you're missing out on some other players in that range, and you also feel a little bit beholden to keep them in your starting lineup for. The first month of the season, sometimes the first two months, sometimes all year, you're you're saying no, he he's going. This is going to work. He's going to pop off. He's going to end up returning value. Uh, I picked him in the fifth round, therefore he should give me some fifth round type of production. Um, so, well, to drop some loose parameters here, um, we'll, we'll start with like the third round and just kind of work our way 
um, back down the list. But a- anything to, to add to our kind of definition of what, of what we're going to be talking about today here, Mario? Yeah, there's there's at least a few different uh, strategy considerations when you switch between best ball and redraft. And one, if there's like one thing for sure for me that that's a big distinction, it's that in redraft season long, especially in this era of generally PPR, generally three starting wide receiver positions. I really put more importance on getting early, really reliable workhorse receivers and specifically of, of a high target volume sort uh, early in drafts, because one of the most miserable scenarios for me in redraft making weekly decisions is when I have uh, maybe I have two that I'm not messing with two receivers that I'm not really taking out of the lineup ever. If that third one and that it could be just third and fourth, third through six, sometimes you get like kind of stuck in a bunch together of, of equal uh alternatives and that third spot having to guess right every single week which of uh if, if you're if your third spot again has like four relatively equal options it might seem nice in theory to have options but it's actually not a lot of the time because it, it makes it easy to end up with bench points even if even if every single one of those weeks one of those four guys goes off uh, and so it's such that in best ball, it'd work out perfect in redraft. There's a really good chance that you're getting it wrong. Cause you know, one out of three, one out of four, even one out of two is hard enough. Um, especially if you're talking guys who are more, uh, downfield, big play types, those, those types of receivers who, who rely on the big play more than they do catch and target volume. They're the ones that are really easy to get wrong because sometimes those guys, they bust loose for the big play not on the basis of easily foreseen things like which matchup is generally easier. Sometimes it's like they go against, they get their best plays against, you know, some of the better defenses because it's not coming down to the overall quality of the defense. It's coming down to, can they schematically get some look where that, where that guy gets open and something that, you know, happens uh, once every four games and, and you need to guess right when at the right time, it's, it's harder to do in my opinion. So in best ball, I often, uh, it might even be kind of my preferred, approach to largely lean on a swarm at receiver uh just get numbers get guys who i think can do that one every four or five weeks kind of thing and and as a group i think they can come through for me in redraft i would much rather have just three receivers i almost never take out of the lineup no absolutely so that that's a great distinction uh between the two um type of drafting formats because yeah what once you get into that miasma of just like uh, I have this glut of four receivers and they are all the same to me. All their matchups look varying degrees of the same. Uh, oh, that I'm going to trap myself into looking at this one metric that says that this team uh, really doesn't do well against this type, this type of receiver. And, you know, it might not always work out like the, the statistics. All sample ball. too. Exactly. NFL football is a small sample. And so when you see people saying like over the first three weeks, these trends have emerged, like give it literally 10 plays. Those things can all get negated. See, yeah, exactly. So it, it's uh, it ends up being a, a, a tough, tough dealio. And that's why we spend uh, three hours on Sunday morning agonizing over our lineup decisions, but before uh, they come out and then, then uh, it becomes abundantly clear that the guy on your bench is the one that you should uh, have started. Uh, our guy crack shot is back. Mario uh, exciting. Uh, Hello. Notes, crack shot. notes uh, that, that we missed on some stuff last year, um, but Hey, crack shot clearly 
believe wrong in crack us shot. You're you're a liar, and you don't remember nothing right either. Well, he clearly believes in our analysis that that he's back, and and glad he got something to do sections. today, crack shot. <laughs> but uh, we got another listener, uh, Henry, uh, wants to know before we we dive in here, Najee Harris or Ramondre in redraft for this year. Where do you land on this one? This one's tough. Yeah, I can see the case either way. Uh, I kind of prefer Stevenson. I think there's a lot more big playability there. I think the touchdown count is is more favorable for Stevenson, too. I happen to believe that the Patriots defense could be the best in the league this year, The one of the best of, of a recent memory, at least. And so I expect them to have a lot of favorable field positioning. And uh, I think Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott are both going to get plenty of work. I just think it's like Elliott basically gets the work when Stevenson needs a breather which could be often because they could have the ball a lot but they don't want to throw the ball with mag jones uh you know 620 times so i i understand the anxiety around stevenson especially with ezekiel elliott there but i really think they they coexist perfectly and, and a key detail with stevenson and his adp all offseason is that it's been going around the the third round second round turn i guess maybe it's getting closer to the third fourth now but if Stevenson didn't have an Ezekiel Elliott or a Damian Harris there, if he really were playing 50 snaps a game, getting 20 carries and five catches, that would have been worth a first round pick. So it would have been one thing if Stevenson had been going in the first round all this time and then they signed Zeke and I was like, oh, crap, now he's going in the third. Like, well, that's where he's been going all this time anyway. So uh, with that said, Harris is, I think, a player who's underrated at this point, which is weird for me to have to say because I, I didn't like the draft pick and I, was, I still believe Travis Etienne is easily the better player. But this idea that Jalen Warren is going to Wally Pip, uh, Najee Harris, that's that's silly to me. I, th- I think Warren's a really good backup and I think Harris is a good starter. And it's as simple as that. Steelers are going to have to run a lot to protect Kenny Pickett. So they're, they're going to need both Harris and Warren and, and roles appropriate for each of them. And I have, I have no worries at all about Harris uh, seeing his workload. If anything, I think Harris can catch more passes than last year, just because I expect the whole offense to be a little bit healthier with uh, uh, ho- hopefully Harris himself healthier, no foot thing this time and a better offensive line would go a long way for them. Yeah. Th- I think what they did in the draft w- was really strong. O- obviously like counting on, rookies to make that instant impact is can be dubious and you know we're talking about a, a tackle position with, with Broderick Jones but I watch a lot of Broderick Jones dur- during his time at Georgia I think he's he looks the good deal I think he's someone that that um, immediately comes in plug and play uh, may have some some uh, some rough moments in the early going but I think overall that offensive line looks a lot better this year than it did a season ago and I think that that should go a long way to uh, at least opening up some running room for for uh, Najee Harris so um, I tend to if they're both on the board I do go with Stevenson but I but by no means do I mind uh, taking Najee Harris yeah I wouldn't argue against anyone taking Harris there uh, I feel the same way so let's go ahead and uh, before we, we dive into some of these players that we are uh, avoiding at cost because it could be costly got a message from our friends over at Circa Get ready for more millions guaranteed. The biggest pro football contests in Vegas are back and bigger than ever with 14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Enter in Nevada, play from anywhere. Two ways to win and no rake. Play Circa Million, make five picks against the spread each week with 100% payback to players. Grand finale winner takes home $1 million. Last place takes home a $100,000 booby prize. 
With quarterly and full season payouts, $6 million is guaranteed. Join Circus Survivor to select one team each week straight up with no repeat selections. If the team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. Each team can only be picked once in a season, go 20-0, or be the last person standing to win it all. $8 million guaranteed, $14 million in guaranteed prizes overall. Visit CircaSports.com for details. Wish I could get myself out to, to Nevada and get into uh, get into that uh, survivor pool uh, that the uh, the team of destiny uh, under the Rotowire umbrella a couple of years ago. That was absolutely electric times. Uh, I I personally am terrible at survivor though. I never seem to get it right. Um, but I digress. Mario, let's go ahead. Let's dig in. All right, I want to start off mid to late third round. A potential trap for redraft drafters. Leading us off here, I would say it's Debo Samuel. I think that it's understandable why why people draft him so high. I think that the the skill set is extremely alluring. Uh, what he puts on film is unique. It's rare. You don't see a lot a lot of guys that do the things that Debo Samuel does. But you do just start to wonder. Uh, I think you know how much actual utility is there to the the fact that oh he runs the ball sometimes, and you also have to think about. Uh, the 49ers passing game this year. I mean, whether it is uh, Brock Purdy there, which it sounds like he's going to be the starter. Uh, he's locked bar- in, yeah. Barring some sort of uh, melting, uh, as uh, Kyle Shanahan alluded to the other day. Not going to be Darnold, not going to be Trey Lance. So riding with Brock Purdy, and now we have Debo Samuel. Maybe, you know, you, you could argue that Brandon Ayuk would, would be the trap. But I, I think when you talk about the the, the cost difference, we're talking about a third round guy in Debo Samuel. So he's either your first or second receiver it, more often than not. I think, you know, what you defined early on is as you lock in those first two receivers that are target workhorses. I don't know if Debo really meets that threshold. Yeah, I am also a bit leery of Debo at cost this year. I think the player is great and he's clearly one of the best players in the league, but even so he's also one of the more, uh, I don't want to say injury prone because he's not exactly he just takes on so much more contact than most receivers. It's like he he could be in a way more durable than most receivers, but most receivers for a reason don't play football the way he does. And uh, I, I will say it was definitely good news for Samuel that the 49ers committed to Brock Purdy at quarterback as opposed to Lance, because Lance would definitely have stolen uh, some carries and targets, both uh, as in the form of rush attempts. Whereas Purdy is, is not going to be running much more than sneaks and, and, you know, occasionally to try to get a first down now and then. So uh, Purdy is good for the pass attempt volume for the, for the 49ers. And that's, that's good for Debo. He, he has all these carries of course, over the past few years, but he doesn't need to get those carries. If we could turn those carries into targets, that would be far preferable. And I, I think uh, Brock Purdy probably helps them lean toward that dynamic a little bit more, but it, it, it still need to be like the fourth or fifth round for Debo to fall to before I would consider it. And he almost never does. Basically you have to take Debo over players. Like in most drafts, anyway, you have to take between him, uh, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, guys like Amari Cooper, probably guys like that. And to me, there's, I guess Cooper and Debo is a little bit close to me, but so Keenan Allen gets 100 catches every single year, especially in PPR. I, I can't consider those two all that close. DK Metcalf, I I think he's a little bit maxed out, but I still think 
his his maxed out form is is a kind of a nice uh, stabilizing presence in the early rounds. Whereas I worry more about the obviously the injuries with Debo, and it doesn't help that as much as Brock Purdy will throw more than Lance would have, they still can't throw that much with Purdy. I can't believe this doesn't get more attention, but when Purdy would have to get throw more than 30 passes in a game last year, he would tend to look pretty bad, and that makes a lot of sense. It's easier to throw the ball when the defense isn't expecting it, and the defense won't expect it as much if you're throwing only 28 times a game versus you know 36. You try to get those extra eight passes in, and, and the defense might see something a second time that they didn't in those first 28 and the outcome could be reversed relative to the first time. So I think uh, there's there's overstated ceiling with Samuel. And I think, uh, of course, having having two other overqualified pass catchers in the same offense, Kittle, uh, I, I guess even McCaffrey, you could call overqualified for whatever target count he's likely to get in an offense like this. But there's there's just so many guys capable of poaching each other even before you get into the durability anxieties. Yeah, and, you know, I think to your point on the ceiling, I just went through the game log last year. In the regular season, he had four games with, with double-digit fantasy points. Yeah, I mean, his, his uh, what was it, his second year, everyone got too low on him, and then uh, he, he roared back in his third year. People got a little too high on him last year, and then it seems to have it seems to have stuck there. Uh, or maybe I'm remembering wrong, and he went, went more in like the second round last year. I guess that's possible. But uh, I think it's it's like it's tough to accept but he's always going to be one of those up and down kind of players just because of his durability tendencies and that's a problem he had even at south carolina he was hurt all the time at south carolina so it's all it's all like a predictable outcome of the way he, that he plays and it's happened for such a long time that i just think he's objectively one of the riskiest early round picks and again i i need to see purdy able to throw 35 times in a game and hold up under that workload before I could see, before I could envision the upside scenario for Samuel, especially with Kittle and Ayuk there fighting for targets too. Yeah, it's just there, there's too too many things working against Debo Samuel being able to return value uh, for for me to to be fully in and and you know again with with the redraft wrinkle here that we're talking about you're going to feel beholden to to starting him and the, he's going to he's going to have some weeks that are clunkers. I think the 49ers offense in general is probably going to have some weeks that are clunkers and really only McCaffrey I think is immune to those type of weeks. So, um when when you're talking about the other guys that that go in that range, you know, I'm taking Amari Cooper, uh Keenan Allen, I, I, he's not really like my my type of of a uh, of draft pick, but in, in PPR I'm more willing to and and with Keenan Allen also and I think what what excludes him from from this particular conversation is when he's in like it, there there's not going to be a clunker like i think that the the target volume is so steady for him the only r- real thing when, when it comes to keenan allen is uh is he injured and then it's a much easier call to uh to take him out the of the answer lineup. is less than debo like whatever it is it's less than debo the the amount of time that he misses so uh i think yeah there's there's uh more durable players than all of Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, and Debo Samuel. But in that group, Debo goes first among them usually, and I think clearly has the worst durability variable of the three. I, I do as well. Um, let's push on into the early fourth round. We're using some ADP over at the NFFC dating back to last Thursday um, using the uh, Rotowire online championship uh, ADP specifically. Here's a polarizing guy, and I think that he he really fits this conversation well. 
Christian Watson uh, of the Green Bay Packers um, because we have a, a new offense or a, you know a new quarterback in place. You know there there were anecdotal there was anecdotal evidence last year that the, those two could, could work together pretty well. But how does it work over the course of a of a full season? I'm I'm still not sold on on the overall quality of, of that Green Bay Packers uh, pass catching group. So I, I do think that that Watson is the best of that bunch. But I, I think that he has the skill set that, like you were alluding to, with, with some of be- some of your you know best ball targets, like a, a guy that goes a little bit later that you know has the the spike week once a month type of thing. But in redraft, and you have to take him in the early fourth round. You don't have that luxury of of really stomaching those weeks where he disappears, but you're you're going to put him in your lineup because of the allure of of that potential, you know, 150 yard, two touchdown type of game. Yeah, Watson is going as a lot of teams as uh, wide receiver one, and so they're not going to, of course, not going to bench him when he costs that much, and for good enough reason. Especially when, like you're saying, Watson is one of those guys who, if if you try to get cute and guess when he goes off versus when he won't you're probably just going to get burned for it. I mean, it is true that he uh, fared particularly well, I think, against like bad secondaries last year. The Dallas defense, of course, had a pretty good secondary most of the year, but they had a lot of backups playing in that week 10 game. And when you look at the full scope of Watson's year, he basically had something like 15 good plays, despite all, uh, you know, the, as, as, as memorable maybe as those plays were, he really would go cold for long stretches. And I, I think a lot of these shots that they landed with him in his rookie year are things that just won't be there anymore. Defenses are going to play them a certain way differently than they did those times. And namely, they're, they're going to keep a safety over Watson. And I think, what, I think what defenses will eventually find is that the way you stop Watson is you jam him at the line extremely aggressively and you just put a safety over the top because he's not – He's not like a sudden athlete. He's very fast once he when you give him enough room to wind up. And that's why you see a lot of that jet sweep kind of stuff with him too. Because like once you get him moving, he of course reaches a very high speed. But that that wind up part is where you have to throw him off course. And so you can't do anything about the jet sweeps beyond uh trying to guess which gaps they're gonna hit and make sure you contain that area of the field. But as a route runner, you can I think you're going to see a pattern emerge where Watson only really strikes in certain very particular parts of the field. And if you spam those parts of the field, and if you disrupt his ability to get to those parts of the field, you'll find that he can't really counter all that much. Certainly not in the way that you'd expect of a so-called wide receiver one. I think Watson is better understood. I think in the category of someone like Quentin Johnston, where it's, you should think of him more as like a three point specialist. And you should assume that if you try to make him shoot, you know, 10, three pointers a game, he's all of a sudden going to start missing a lot because the defense is going to start sitting on certain things that they maybe don't uh, if, if you ran a more balanced offense. So I think the the Jordan Love part is pretty concerning too. Whatever your opinion of Watson is as a, as a prospect in, his, in a, uh, his own right, there's a lot of well-founded concern around Love. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I know what's going on there. I don't really have a set opinion on Love. I'm not drafting him because I, I, I just can't really figure him out either way. And I, I'd rather spend uh, you know test my luck with other players but uh it looks like love could be pretty bad and i think the packers are sort of planning for that possibility too i don't know why you draft luke musgrave and tugger craft in the first three rounds unless you're planning to do a lot of running the ball this year and you have aaron jones and aj Dillon. why not do that so I, the packers were tended to be kind of low tempo with aaron Rodgers and not throw the ball that much in the first place i think you really might see the packers kind of 
sit on the ball a lot, try to keep love under 30 pass attempts a game as much as possible, run the ball as much as possible, keep the pass attempts that he does throw as often as you can in, you know, second and four stuff like that. They don't want him throwing in third and long. So I don't know how you unleash a player like Watson to his fullest abilities when your priority might be protecting the quarterback too. It, it just seems like it's a, it seems to me that Watson is priced at the absolute most generous point possible. And I, I don't know that his ADP all off season has recognized the sort of uh, dangers of this offense. Is there something also structurally here? And it also, you know, go, goes with what Watson does best, which, which is the, the downfield stuff the, the, could that really even work when, when it comes to a guy taking on like the, the number one, receiver role in the offense where you know just the the overall success rate of getting the ball to Watson where he is operating at his best which is deeper down the field you know his a dot last year was over 13 um so you're basically setting up your offense where you have what a high target volume for something that has like a sub 60 percent success rate like that seems right concerning to me so so either the targets go away a little bit or the average depth of target for watson comes down and then you're not getting the big play explosiveness that that you're envisioning when you draft him yeah i think he'll he'll continue to be basically a Better version of Marquez Valdez Scantling, who gives you probably up to up to like 15 carries for maybe something like 180 yards. He is dangerous as a run like North Dakota State. One year they gave him more carries than they did catches, you know, because they couldn't figure out how to get him catches any shallower than 20 yards downfield. So they're 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 throwing either bombs to him or they're they're doing these jet sweeps with him. That's a, a sort of a practical. That's, that was a practical judgment that the that North Dakota State made when they used him that way. They didn't say, this is a cool thing to do. Let's do this. They said, we got to give him the ball more. We can't at these depths. And I think the reason that they couldn't at those depths is because it just doesn't really suit him that way. So I do think that that's why I'm saying like he should probably be a three-point specialist as a receiver. And there is a way he can remain super efficient in this offense. Like If the Packers do it well, the way it would look, I think, is Jones and Dylan have – probably both career years rushing and they're in that scenario Jordan Love has much less heat on him than he does when he's throwing from third and nine third and ten uh if they're keeping games close if if pass rushes are a little bit uh sapped from having to do so much run defense first that's where you that's where you get that open three-point shot and I think if it's open even Jordan Love isn't going to miss it so there there are plenty of ways Watson can make a positive impact for the Packers. It's just that I think you look at his ADP and people are supposing a target volume that to me would kind of indicate a total collapse of the offense. And I don't even think he'd return that, that well efficiency wise, if his workload reached that sort of target frequency. Yeah. So it, in all uh, Watson, there, there's a lot of ways that this could, could go wrong and, and really only a, a couple of ways that, that this could go right, especially uh, when you're considering him as an early fourth round guy, someone who, you know, like, like you alluded to, uh, could could be your first receiver, could be your second receiver. Um, that uh, feels uh, particularly risky. Um, so I, I think that we, we've touched on two players that, that we've kind of actively not really been getting a ton of exposure to. We put our feet to the fire a little bit here. Let's talk about our guy. Er, we're going to get to Drake London here in a second. This is a guy who I don't think we've really talked about much dur- during this entire offseason. 
what do you make of DJ Moore for 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 this year? Is it, is this something where it, it's it's akin to or there's a parallel to Stefan Diggs going to Buffalo and it helps kind of unlock this otherwise or previously uh, pretty raw quarterback and, and turn him into something that um, you know turns the offense into something that that's truly scary and dangerous or is DJ Moore just going to be stuck in an offense that just doesn't throw the ball enough for, for him to end up being able to, to come close to reaching or returning value. I think DJ Moore might end up uh, in terms of, in terms of what would you call it in terms of uh, target volume, he might be similar to the category of Christian Watson, but the, the share of the offense will be different. I think, I think DJ Moore is going to get a big share of the bears offense. The question is how much do they actually throw and I guess you could question, too, how, how effective they'll be doing it. I tend to be an optimist with both Fields and Moore. So if if Watson and Moore must both be sentenced to a certain target count, then I definitely prefer more of the two and Moore tends to go later. The, the main reason is just that I think Moore is a much better receiver than Christian Watson. I know Christian Watson's good. I, I just happen to think DJ Moore, I don't know, might be something like a top 12 receiver. And for me, Watson doesn't get into the conversation until at least 30 something. So I, I'm assuming certain limit, certain constraints with both passing offenses. But in the case of the Packers, I think it's both that they are committed to low volume and we have plenty of reason to be kind of anxious about who the quarterback is. Whereas with the Bears example, I personally am not concerned at all about Justin Fields. I, I think he's clearly the real deal. Uh, the circumstances that he played in last year were absurdly unfavorable and he still did pretty good. So being in his third year out of the Ohio state system, you know, playing at this totally foreign level of difficulty with a totally different timing tendency than what the rhythm he developed at Ohio state. I think it makes sense that he'd need some time to sort of adapt uh, going from just rookie mode difficulty of the Ohio state offense to the, you know, something worse than all Madden, something even more harsh than all Madden running the bears offense. I expected him to need some development time to, to to get a new rhythm as a passer. I think incidentally, this point in his career would be a good time for that uh, to project that it would happen. Obviously be a good time for it to actually happen. I think it makes sense that it would happen at this time. And I think DJ Moore arriving there makes it even more likely yet because DJ Moore is a guy who can give you really productive plays, even without favorable structure. Uh, He can make, uh, obviously he can take a screen 62 yards for a touchdown but as much as he's a monster after the catch underneath he's also got great ball skills so he can he can make jump ball catches better than most receivers of his height you know he's not a classic catch radius guy but when you watch contested targets to dj Moore, he he kind of does that steve smith thing where you don't really know how but he, he just kind of wrestles it down even when it's like hey that guy's got more reach than him it never ends up mattering so if, if Justin Fields needs to make desperation throws, I think DJ Moore is, is likely to give him better returns than most receivers can. And I think otherwise, it's just going to be tough to acknowledge the rushing threat of that offense while keeping the appropriate coverage resources over more. Like you, you going against the Bears want to double DJ Moore basically every play, but that's still easier said than done if, you're, uh, if you're, your run defense up front isn't keeping safe contain on Justin Fields a 40 yard carry by Justin Fields will make you decrease your priority of stopping DJ Moore. I feel like if, if you're like, they keep screwing up contain, get more contain help. Like maybe that's the opening for not just DJ Moore, but Mooney's not a bad player. 
Uh, Cole Komet has, has turned into a pretty good tight end. I think the Bears are going to run a lot, uh, pass not that much, but still pass a lot more than they did last year and pass much more effectively than a team like the Packers, who I think have been stuck with a similar volume constraint. Right. And, and you know, like, like you kind of let off your, your point, you know, DJ Moore, the, the target share should be among the league leaders. So even if it's yeah. a, a smaller overall pie, I think I think the the, the volume concern is, isn't really there. He's going to be getting fed um, every single week. So good, good to set the record straight. He is not a trap where he goes at ADP. Uh, before we get into uh, Drake London, got a message from our friends over at Fantrax. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league. Invite your friends and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty fantasy football platform in the industry. Coming from another service, not a problem. Fantrax can easily import your leagues and rosters and customize if needed. Ever have a trade go wrong or make a mistake in dropping a player? Fantrax commissioner tools allow you to undo any move with one simple click. If there is anything lacking in your current fantasy league manager, Fantrax likely has it. Fantrax is running a special promotion that you don't want to miss. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash Rotowire. That's Fantrax.com slash Rotowire to enter for your chance to win tickets to any regular season game for you and your entire league, plus $6,000 in spending cash. That's right. Tickets for your entire league. Simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports we got a message from our friends over at rival fantasy if you're looking for a place to play head-to-head fantasy football games without the huge tournament salary caps or complicated game types then rival fantasy is where you want to play this nfl season from a classic from a twist on a classic game with fantasy bingo where players generate a lineup to compete to complete achievements and get bingo to head-to-head fantasy challenges where you'll pick which of two players will score more fantasy points this is the best of fantasy sports for the 2023 NFL season, Rival Fantasy is offering new users a $200 deposit deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. Rival Fantasy is so confident you'll love the experience; they're giving you money to play right out of the gate. Experience the future of fantasy sports on Rival Fantasy and become a rival today. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. All right, Mario, let's get into it. Drake London. Uh, he is he's creeping up the board here. He his ADP over the last week over on the NFFC um, is forty three point seven. So you know we're talking about someone who's going in the middle of the fourth round. He was someone who you know much earlier in in the off season was going uh, in the in the fifth round. And now that now you know the the price is coming up. Do you think that that's um, the the market deciding that he's the guy to to have over Kyle Pitts and that chasm between the two in ADP is is growing? Is there some sort of optimism now uh, b- uh, bubbling up uh, in Desmond Ritter making the this passing game uh, better? Are people uh, fixating on, on Drake London's final game of last season where he really crushed it and kind of left a, a nice uh, final impression on his rookie season? Um, what is the deal here and are we willing to, to take the, the plunge at the new ADP? Well, Drake London, I'm going to say like kind of the case against him, but I want to clarify, I think he's absolutely one of the most talented players in the league. And it's one of those fades that I'm kind of sick about. Uh, I don't want to fade him. I, I can, I can imagine a lot of ways that it goes wrong, mainly just because I, I think he's going to be, uh, a multi-time all pro and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a hall of famer when his career is over. However, this particular year, I, I worry about the Ritter part for the most part. I, uh, I, I don't assume Ritter is bad, but I don't want it to, I don't want to assume either that things will just get a lot better than Mariota. I, I think there are some pretty real limitations or at least concerns with Ritter that led to him falling as far as he did. He wasn't a, 
I don't think he was better than Mariota last year, and and that's a pretty low bar. You'd like to see better rookie or not. I mean, also Ritter was old for a rookie last year, not Kenny Pickett or uh, Brandon Weed and old, but he was pretty old for a rookie. So you have less leniency, or I do anyway, when a, when a rookie is older than most rookies are, the, the concern or the excuse applies a little bit less, uh, which by the way, makes London's rookie season that much more impressive. He only turned 21 uh, late July. So he just turned 22 recently. And you know, he, that's, that's like three years younger than some, like he, London played last year, more than two years younger than Zay flowers will be this year. And that that kind of stuff is important to keep perspective on because it just shows how far ahead of schedule London is. Uh, but with Kyle Pitts there, with B. John Robinson there too, and then the Ritter part, I think the Falcons, to the extent that they have any tempo as an offense, it'll be more on the ground. It'll be like maybe they ran 65 plays in this game, but it's not because they threw it 35 times. It's because B. John Robinson got 20 carries. Tyler Alger got 30 Ritter ran it four or five times and threw it 25. So uh, Kyle Pitts, if he had been healthy all year, probably would have lowered London's target rate a little bit. London got 117 targets on 792 snaps, which is awesome. And he did a great job with it. But I would assume it's closer to something like at most 105 if Pitts plays those final 10 games or whatever. And so it's not just Pitts coming back. It's that also, B. John Robinson will get more receptions, I think. Uh, he'll dictate that the, the Falcons running backs take a bigger target share of the offense than last year, too. So Pitts coming back. I wouldn't be shocked if, if Johnny Smith has just enough activity to kind of annoy everybody, uh, even including maybe Kyle Pitts investors. So uh, the basic problem with London is that I think he goes a little bit earlier and certainly the same range, at least as some other guys who have fewer share percentage concerns and also better overall offenses that will probably throw a lot more passes. So it's just, it's like a, there's a path for London to still be a smash hit at his ADP. I think it just kind of, it might require some other injuries uh, that, that that's kind of how narrow the path is in my mind. Whereas someone who costs less like Mike Williams, I don't need to think about how it's going to work. It could work for a lot of reasons just based on who Mike Williams is. Of course, uh, the Chargers passing game is so much healthier than the Atlanta one. Even beyond the health of it, they're they're throwing probably, what, like 150 more times, something like that. So when guys like Mike Williams and even in PPR, I think Chris Godwin's got a case to go ahead of Drake London. Christian Kirk's kind of in that conversation, Terry McLaurin. It's a high price to pay for London for, I think, an upside that is a little bit muted and more elusive than his own talent would kind of lead you to believe. I think it's more uh, his best days are still ahead of him still. Okay, so so this season could be more of like a not like a a plateauing over the over the course of his career, but like it's going to be tough for him to like way outperform what, what he did a season ago. Yeah, and he, he could have a really good year and still disappoint for the fantasy investors because at this price, I mean, Mike Williams, could, for instance, could have a season like 90 catches for 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's a that's a pretty great height to reach. I, I would be shocked if anyone in the Falcons offense is capable of that, and it doesn't even really matter how good they are. Well, I, I guess but my one, and I know that you're optimistic on, on London too and, and the concerns you're raising are, are you know very legitimate, um, is there something also to just 
be said when it comes to you look at the rest of that Falcons receiving core and it's like, why would you throw it to anyone else? Well, they won't is the thing. I'm not concerned about Mac Hollins or whatever other. But he looks very there. strong. He yeah. looks very strong. <laughs> he uh, he does, he refuses to wash his hands after he goes <laughs> to the bathroom. Uh, isn't that gritty? Uh, sorry, he didn't actually say that. What he said is he doesn't uh, he doesn't use silverware when he eats. He just that's eats with right. His hands. Yeah, just caveman. Uh, yeah, like that's that's corny. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, Mac Hollins is a goofball. He's not going to take anything from London. The the but the problem is more for me, Pitts, B. John Robinson, even because uh, those two, th- those two playing, it, it dilutes the share of the targets that London had last year. You know, and I think if I, lo- I would imagine a lot of people who are investing heavily in London, if they simply changed their their uh, f- their model or whatever their projection model to read it as London had a hundred targets last year instead of one hundred and seventeen or whatever they too would move off of him, but they're using like projection models that say, you know, when, when receivers reach target rates, target thresholds of X uh, at this age, they tend to increase it by this percentage yearly until this age and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't know if, if the traditional rules, the, the traditional tendencies of a player with London's abilities and, and, and production to this point in his career, I don't think they hold the same in the Falcons offense. Like they they're, they're going to be in the bottom five pass attempts, you know? So that's with, with Pitts in my opinion, being like a clear all pro talent with Robinson taking more targets than the Falcons running backs did last year. Again, I, I feel like the ceiling is categorically lower than players like Mike Williams. And I also think that the floor is not as easily accessed. Yeah. So the, the, I do like Mike Williams more than Drake London straight up for, for this year. Um, and I think also um, Terry McLaurin, there, there's a good case there. I, I do like London, but it it is interesting. He is awesome. I, I, I want to make clear that I think London is probably close to a top. He's probably a top 15 receiver right now. It's just I am really high on Kyle Pitts. I'm pretty low on Ritter. And I think they're going to run like hell. I think I think Algier is going to take a lot more than everyone's expecting. That's another thing. I do, yeah. I like Algier as as one of the the later uh, running backs you, you can grab. Um, we got time for for one more uh, fantasy trap before we get on over to uh, my NFFC draft. Uh, whom amongst these guys would you like to set the record straight on? Michael Pittman, uh, T.J. Hawkinson, or James Cook? Uh, I I. I think i'll say james cook maybe because to me he just seems like the easiest target there i've i've got some reservations about tj hawkinson at price uh but james cook in the rotowire online championship for the nffc contest uh going back la- to last week uh, sorry one week specifically august 10th james cook is going too high i'm sorry and there's a lot of just misconception about james cook in the industry in this era where so many people who play fantasy football don't really watch the games and to the extent that they watch it's like red zone channel or highlight clips and then the rest of their information on a player is usually informed by various prospect models or just kind of deferring to some combination of uh, excitement factor and draft capital stuff like that so you see the i see people say point blank like james cook is good and I don't know what that is supposed to mean exactly. Good at what? Good how much? Because he, I could I could agree uh, uh, to a certain framing of James Cook being good, 
if you're saying he's a good 400 snap running back, I'd say like, yeah, sure. Probably if you say he's generally good catching passes. I'd say, yeah, he is. But if we are to mean good as in conflating it to a feature running back who is, you know, a general starter plays 30 plus snaps a game and gives you uh, a variety of dimensions, uh, not just like one or two. That's where I start to wonder what people think Cook is exactly, because he is not a three down player in the sense of a, you know, uh, all he, he can play three downs in the sense that he can do the be it pass catching or running that that tends to go along with those downs and distances. But playing three downs is in playing every snap or something in a drive that doesn't really suit him. I mean, this is a guy who just last year had a career high going back to Georgia. Anyway, his four year Georgia career. James Cook has a career high, which he set last year, of a single game carry count. Do you want to guess what it is, John? What do you think his career high of most carries has ever had in a game? Uh, 13. 14. So, yeah, he oh. he went over uh, double-digit carries one, two, three, four times last year. 14 is the most he's ever had in a game going back to Georgia. So there's a reason Georgia used him that way. If people really believe that James Cook was just this electrifying talent that Georgia for some reason didn't use, that's silly. They didn't believe use me. him because they, they determined that he was better at some things than others and only capable of certain things to certain volume extents. And I don't know what it looks like when he go too far. It might be just that he starts to look a little slower, starts taking hits that he normally evades. It could be that. It could be more that when you expose him to the defense in certain number of looks that the defense starts to recognize the plays that he is best suited toward and they start to get basically tipped off on the play call and he gets rocked, you know, like he, he generally looks elusive, but he only looks elusive when he's getting six carries and three catches a game. There's a really high probability that if you start trying to give him 15 carries, the the second look, especially <laughs> It's like uh, it's almost a na- it's almost like you can think of it the way a pitcher, you know, has two pitches. They work great as a reliever, maybe. But if you try to make them go four innings with two pitches, that second time that they get seen, they're getting rocked on the play that worked perfectly the first time. So James Cook, I think with Damian Harris there and even Latavius Murray, who I think they're pretty clearly designating as like a short yardage specialist. James Cook is categorically barred from reaching the volume heights that most of his investors are hoping for and i think that uh short yardage stuff it's going to harris and it's going to murray and even if even if harris stays getting hurt murray i think is going to take a lot more than all those those uh, james cook investors are are, are figuring and uh, to me at, at this price there's not enough margin of of error there you know it, it's it's uh i guess i should say he's gone as high as 49 in the NFFC draft, he's he's at 63 overall, and that's ahead of players like let's let's set aside uh Alexander Mad- uh, Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, all of whom I have ranked ahead of Cook. I want to talk about J.K. Dobbins at 65. You cannot take James Cook over J.K. Dobbins. I'm sorry, unless you are unless you have as many J.K. Dobbins shares as me, and you're you're like going at like 60 percent exposure. You cannot take James Cook over J.K. Dobbins. And if you can't see why, it's because you're completely ignoring their tangible traits. You're completely ignoring their actual abilities, the things that they've accomplished as football players. Go look a little bit at J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State and then look at James Cook at Georgia. And if you can't tell the difference, you should stop trying to make the judgment. You should defer to other people, honestly. 
Yeah, because uh, believe me, as a Georgia guy, I was waiting for four years for James Cook to do anything. And he finally did some stuff his uh, his senior year, but it took that long. He's a really not- good role player. He's, and that's fine. He doesn't need to be more than a really good role player. It's the fantasy investors that need him to be more than that. It, yep, and when you're p- picking him in the in the sixth round, uh, that gets tricky. When you know he's probably maxing out, like like you said, at like twelve carries a game, and and you know how many uh, targets is he really going to get? How often does Josh Allen dump off uh, to running backs? Probably not enough to to like make up the difference there. So I mean, he's he's risen. His ADP's probably gone up what 25, 30 slots over the course of the summer. At, at this point, if he's, getting, I have no idea why. You know, I, I know there was Ken Dorsey with the quote. I think he can be a three down back. I, I I know for a fact that some people started raising his projections on the basis of that comment, and I I just I think that's like a media literacy kind of thing almost. Like, what do you th- do you think Dorsey is going to tell you? Uh, yeah, I think James Cook is pretty good for twenty five plays a game, but he might get his head ripped off if we give him thirty. He's not going to say that. He's going to say complimentary things as, as long as James Cook is working hard in practice and by all accounts he is he's being a good teammate no coach in that position is going to say yeah I think he's uh I think he's kind of a one-dimensional sort of guy to be honest with you no it, it, exactly like you're, you're gonna peddle that that type of um narrative because you you, you don't want to like bash your players in the media so of course you're gonna say good things about a you know second year guy who you know we, we expect to step into a larger role but it, I think how large that role is is overstated and uh if he does maybe the returns start to really um really come down in a pretty significant way uh to where again he doesn't return value and yeah when when you're faced with it with him versus jk dobbins that's not a draft decision that i thought i would have to make whatsoever this year but you know obviously dobbins drops a a little in my opinion that's an easy one take dobbins i'm I'm just surprised to see their their names uh so so close to each other um, on the board. Um, all right, we're going to do a bit of a high wire act here, a little uh, production quality potentially. So bear with me. But I think I have this uh, lined up. Let's see here. All right, we are sharing the draft board. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> He's done it. That's He's done it again, folks. Look at look at that. Um, so um, we have we have uh, the board with uh, you know it, in the interest of. of uh, not stepping on any uh, high stakes players' toes. Uh, the the draft board names are blank, but for the listeners and the viewers out there, I picked third in the RotoWire Online Championship draft last night. Um, to to give some parameters of the NFFC, there's a third round reversal, so that means that as I was picking third in the first round, that also meant that I was picking tenth in the third round. So that, that obviously changes the calculus of, of how you expect uh, the draft to go. And I went pretty chalky, pretty high floor guys to, to get things started. I, I had a bit of internal debate whether I was going to take McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill, but Tyreek Hill tied to the health of, of Tua. And I, I'm not sure if I trust that with, with my first uh, pick in, in this type of draft. And McCaffrey, even if, again, that, that 49ers offense uh, doesn't reach that that peak efficiency. I still felt like you know this this is a guy who, if he plays all season, no worse than like the the RB five this season. So a little oh, bit yeah. safe, but but happy to do it. Chris Olave, I just think that the offense should be better this year. I think he 
should be even better. And I thought what he put down as a rookie last year was, I mean, if I wasn't sold already, which I totally was going into last year, then, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, he's, he's going to get a ton of targets. He's going to catch a lot of them. And I think that the touchdowns should hopefully go up uh, given uh, Derek Carr's uh, bicep gains uh, over the course of this off season. Uh, you know, yeah, important stuff there. Um, Amari Cooper, what was my pick? Um, in the in the third round. So what, what do you make of that start? I think it's a good start. I might have taken Tyreek myself, but I can't disagree with anything you said. And of course, if if McCaffrey stays healthy, he probably isn't any worse than like the third even uh, running back in the scoring and obviously would be the favorite to be first. So taking him in NFFC, especially, you know, full point PPR, very easily justified. I think it's actually more easily justified than in half point PPR. So uh, I haven't taken McCaffrey a whole lot in like underdog best ball, but in NFFC, I, I think he has a even stronger case to go third. Olave to me is a class above Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, T Higgins. He's I think closer, to, not quite in the Devonte Adams category, but the closest one to it who is next in line in my opinion. And what I mean is I don't understand why Jalen Waddle goes ahead of Chris Olave in the first place. If you're, if you're maybe fading Tyreek Hill, if you're, if you're making a team wondering, well, what if Tyreek Hill misses time? Yeah. Then Jalen Waddle can catch a hundred passes because he already did it his rookie year. We know he can do that, but I don't have much faith in him getting over 85 catches while Tyreek Hill is in the offense. I think Tyreek Hill's he's, he's almost the first and second look. I mean, Waddle only had like 75 catches last year. It's asking him a lot to have that, whatever, 17 yards a catch two years in a row. So I actually prefer Waddle a little bit more in half point PPR than full point. And in full point PPR, Olave is clearly the superior option to me. I guess I can understand why some people would be a little bit anxious about Olave. You know, looking at um, Michael Thomas coming back. Uh, they, what was it? Uh, some other receiver that's in the picture. To, to me, Ma- Michael Thomas is like the, the girl yelling on the airplane meme. Like, he's not real. He doesn't exist to me. Well, I think if he is real, it's just, it doesn't matter because Olave is already a top five NFL receiver. I know someone would say like, that's, you can't say that. How dare you say that? He hasn't, he hasn't proven that yet. A, I don't care if someone's proven it in some like non-debatable way already. I'm trying to be right before it's not arguable, you know, and B, yes, he is that good. And it's already that obvious. He had 1,042 yards on 500 84 snaps john that is insane some receivers will get to 1100 snaps this year olave had over a thousand yards on 584 snaps so if you take his numbers last year and prorate them over a thousand snaps you're talking 1800 yards just based on last year's numbers when he was a rookie so i i I actually do think thomas is somewhat real if he's active but chris olave is a receiver not matched by more than three or four in the entire NFL and none of them play for the saints. I love it. All right. I'm feeling better already. Um, but uh, I was, I was already pretty excited to, to take Olave and, and it did, um, it did sting a little bit to pass on my guy, Calvin Ridley, but I, I think I need to dial that in. And I think Olave, um, in, in full point PPR, like this one, I felt like he, he was, he was the right move. I would have been elated, uh, to, to get Ridley, if this was a, a normal draft w- without that third round reversal, um, I'm probably taking him in, in the third. 
Um, and that's he went with the third pick of the third round. So, um, you know, that that plan could have worked if not for the, the format here. But hey, I, I like a little bit of an added challenge. So Amari Cooper ended up being my, my uh, third pick. And if you'll notice a little bit later on, ended up steering into a bit of a Browns stack uh, with, with Deshaun Watson in the seven and David and Joku. But but to uh, catch up uh, between then and uh, the, the completion of, of that Browns stack, uh, we got Travis Etienne, of course, um, Brandon Ayuk and, and Damian Pierce. Yeah, so I, I think the one challenge that you face, John, with this team is that I think at most points of the year, you're going to have three running backs you want to start. And that's even before we get to Charbonnet, who I think is is one of the absolute best running back picks at, at, at ADP this year and a player with a lot of upside for the range that he goes. It's going to be tough to displace. McCa- of course, McCaffrey's in. ETN, if he's healthy, is in. Damian Pierce is going to be tough to displace from that flex spot. So you're going to have to uh, make that call between Ayuk and Bateman. And uh, sorry, sorry to skip ahead a little bit, but uh, that's the one challenge I think that your team faces. And otherwise, I, I think it's it, and it's a challenge that um, can be handled. You know, it's every, every team is going to have a challenge of some sort. Yours is a, a relatively small one. And I love the core of McCaffrey, Etienne, Pierce, along with uh, Olave and Cooper. Like Cooper in the third is a perfect uh, stabilizing kind of pick. It's not going to be the one that wins it for you, but there, there are much worse ones you could have made. And I think you kind of uh, you got the wide receiver pick just before the door closed on that tier. Like DJ Moore, I think could match or outproduce Cooper this year. I'm pretty confident Christian Watson and Debo Samuel won't though. Uh, Keenan Allen, I think, is in that conversation too. So uh, you got, I think, a good like floor setting pick, a good floor setting first three picks. And then I like the, the the general flow of it from there. And and I'm personally really high on Bateman. So uh, even if Ayuk isn't coming through for you, I, I think Bateman will. I think so too. And I, I think that there's a little bit of an interesting uh, development that, I, that I've been playing around with it in my head. So you remember at the start of last year, the, this Ravens offense, and, and this was a Greg Roman offense still, but you remember how bad that defense was in the first month of the season. Marlon Humphrey is going to be out for at least a month from today. So outside of the, that Texans game, which I, I think the Ravens will be able to handle fine with, without um, Marlon, Marlon Humphrey at the, in week one, it gets tricky right, like right away after that. I think there's a trip to Cincinnati right after that and, and some other tough quarterbacks that Baltimore is going to have to face potentially without Marlon Humphrey. And I, I think that there's the added problem that the Ravens don't really have any sort of quality depth. At, at corner it's Humphrey and scrubs because Marcus Peters is gone and Marcus Peters at the end of last year was uh, not good. Um, so this is, this suddenly becomes a defense that might be a little bit prone to shootouts and track meets. And in that case, Bateman last year in a, in a poorly structured offense was cooking with, with Lamar Jackson. So I, I know they've added guys, you know, Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews isn't going anywhere, but I think Bateman, when he's healthy, is the real deal. So I, I do feel good about um, the, the the potential of, of those potentially high-scoring games, especially early in the season when it comes to Bateman. And, and yes, it, it's going to be tricky to, to put him in, in the flex over someone uh, like a Damian, P- or a Damian Pierce, but 
you know, there might be a week or two where that, that might end up being the play because the, the, the over under for those Ravens games could be, you know, challenging for 50. Whereas, um, you know, with, with Texans games, we're looking at low forties. Yeah. Without making it sound like I'm bashing the Ayuk pick. I actually think that in, especially in full point PPR, that if Bateman stays healthy, he will easily breeze past Brandon Ayuk this year. Of course, the background context here is I'm higher on Bateman than most people, but uh, he has 96 targets on his first 755 snaps. And that's in an offense that was, of course, pretty run heavy while he was playing. And he's only going to be 24 in late November. So he, uh, beginning last year, was the same age that Zay Flowers will be as a rookie this year. And he in Bateman has already logged really, really good numbers with great efficiency, too. He's, he's been an easy above baseline uh, return with the targets that he's drawn. So uh, going a little bit off the, the subject here, John, uh, I was doing uh, I was actually running uh, Baltimore projections, the, the, running it like as if I have a, a real method other than uh, whim. But I was <laughs> scribbling down my projections for the Ravens offense, and I uh, am way higher on them than I realized. Actually, I thought I was pretty high on them, but I, I thought that uh, pretty clearly they're going to they're going to hit the overs on Lamar Jackson's passing yardage. I saw in DraftKings it's like thirty five hundred. I think it is much more likely that Lamar Jackson finishes the year with 4,500 than 3,500. And I think that's one of the easiest bets you could make this year over 3,500. He'll do that in 13 games. I have no doubt about it. So I think, I think Bateman is a key part of that though. I think him, Andrews, uh, flowers, Beckham, they're, they're a strong group. Munkin knows how to use them. Uh, Lamar knows how to use them too. Uh, it was always Roman. That was the problem. But uh, in any case, that's that's uh that's gravy for you if it turns out to be true because he's he's your wide receiver four you know and uh, there's there's of course a chance that Ayuk if Debo Samuel misses time like we're worried about then Ayuk can take off pretty easily so I think you've got a, a good assortment of of ammunition at your disposal here uh, I'm liking it too um let's see so we 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 broke down uh, the team a little bit on uh, XM. Last night after the draft wrapped up, uh, Nick Whalen and, and uh, Jim Coventry had me on, and they astutely pointed out, hey, John, there's no green, which is the, the running back uh, designated color on, on uh, this draft board. There's no green after round nine. What's the deal? And, and to them, I said, this is a, this is a format where uh, free agent acquisition budget is in play. This isn't best ball, so I'm not locked in. And I felt like, when I when I kind of had my running back situation sutured up by the by the end of the ninth round, I really didn't like the the rest of the of the running backs the rest of the way, or at least the the ones that I did ended up coming off the board before I had a chance to to take them. Tyler Algier was one of them, handful of other ones, but at the same time, I'm much more happy to play uh, free agent roulette with with running backs uh, than, than I am with with basically any other position. So even if I'm, I'm, you know, quote unquote thin in terms of number of bodies in my backfield, I think the quality of each of them is strong enough to, to carry it. And I think that again, there will be running backs that probably aren't even being drafted right now that are in season pickups that, that end up being, you know, start worthy. Yeah. The one thing I'll say, I think it'll work out fine for you because the four players that you have, uh, I think 
I think ETN could turn out to be a top 12 back. I think Pierce could end up being a top 12 back. I think Charbonnet could end up being a top 12 back. So you have the, uh, you know, the firepower. The way that it could go wrong is if your depth is tested by injuries, at which point going to the waiver wire in NFFC is often, uh, I'm not going to say a pointless task, but it's, it's not as easy in theory, especially compared to like, you know, the Rotowire Stake League or whatever, where we have tiny benches. It's like in NFFC, the reason those running backs, those late round running backs were such uh, unpalatable high prices to you is because they really are going a lot earlier than they do anywhere else. Because you'll, you'll see this in NFC all the time. Even teams that take good running backs will often do this. Uh, but certainly the zero running back teams do this as a matter of necessity. They'll start taking running backs beginning in about the 10th round a good four or five rounds earlier than they go in any other ADP. And it's because they, especially the earlier that the draft is, they'll do this. And it's because they are simply trying to hoard as many backup running backs as they can. So that in the event that someone gets hurt in training camp or preseason, they don't have to make the fab bid that they just, you know, have the potential fab pickup already on their roster. And so over the course of the year, some of these guys that they're taking in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, they'll start cutting them if the people ahead of them don't get hurt. But that's why they're taking them so early is because they're just, you know, they're, 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 they're like, I got three or four really good receivers. I'm just going to hoard running backs and hope a bunch get hurt. So uh, the, the, the actual options on the waiver wire might be pretty sparse until like week six or something like that. When, you know, the Evan Hulls and the Kyron Williamses start getting cut. Well, yeah, that that is a good point. I mean, but it would take bad luck on. It, it would take at least two of your running backs getting hurt for that to be the case, and you know that in a lot of cases that's enough bad luck to kind of ruin the season, no matter what you do otherwise. Exactly, and and luckily for for me that I I played the bye week uh, correlation reasonably well with with my running backs. Week nine will be a problem, but again, that's two months into the season, so I, I should if if necessary have. Um, backups in place and, and that week if, if I'm starting Damian Pierce and Zach Charbonnet I'm still fine with that overall but um, and, and one kind of loose observation for, from another team to, to your point on the on the RB hoarding uh, from, from the ninth round onward we had uh, five consecutive running back picks for, for, for team number 12 going Antonio Gibson in the ninth Tank Bigsby Zamir White who I had not seen go in the 11th round uh, before uh, Ty J Spears at the end of the 12th and Chase Brown. I I, I do kind of like Chase Brown. I I would take him in the 13th round if I, if I felt like I needed to. That's early, man. That's uh I mean, I, it's the NFFC market, but it's he goes like undrafted on underdog, you know. So that's a distinction of uh what, 5 rounds at least. Yes. So it's uh that's but that's just yeah, that's how the game works. That they, they uh they they want to get all those potential fad pickups in the July and August draft instead and they'll 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 take like eight running backs to do it. I think the the Ty J Spears thing, like if you know you, the, the conventional wisdom when you take these backup running backs is, oh, if the starter gets hurt, he gets all the work. But in Tennessee, everything falls apart if Derrick Henry goes out. I think, and I think and Spears has limitations. He's not yes. getting he's not getting twelve carries more than a handful of times. Even if Henry is out, he's only going on twelve carries a handful of times, and also. uh not as tested as a pass catcher as you would think of a running back with his volume limitations. Yeah. So the, there's those problems there. And I think 
it seems to be growing increasingly evident that this Titans offensive line might be like the not just the worst in the league, but like worst in recent memory. So that worst that ever. not only can yeah. yeah it 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 concerns me for for Derrick Henry one, but it, if if it's Ty J Spears that that has to like somehow attempt to carry the load, I think we're looking at like three yards a carry at most. I will say I th- I think Spears does have a rare kind of uh, processing ability as a runner. Like he's one of those guys who just his mind, his instinct, his reflex always tells him the right way to go. But knowing the right way to go and making that decision perfectly instantly every single time still gets you diminished returns relative to the college level when you're only running a four or five at 200 pounds. Like he's, he's turning the corner on college defenses that he's getting trapped in the backfield and the same play in the NFL. So that's, that's part of why I was lower on Spears as a prospect than most people. To me, he's in that category was he's got endless skill, but limited tools and uh, the frame too keeps limitations. Even before you talk about whatever the hell is going on with his weird knee, like his frame dictates that you can only give him so much usage. So yeah, if they don't have Henry Julius Chestnuts playing a lot, in my opinion, and that's uh, you know, like you said, it's 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 a dreary scenario entirely. There's no like, hey, cool thing that we found underneath you know Derrick Henry over here. It's like no, it's just there's just hell. Uh, yeah, it's just him. potato bugs ro- rolling about. So yeah, um, I over Spears, I would even prefer uh, straight up, let alone for the price. I would prefer guys who could conceivably scale up. You know, it's long shot stuff, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, even Gus Edwards, Jerome Ford, certainly. There are guys, Chuba Hubbard, there's guys who can conceivably get to 15 carries in an offense if the player ahead of them gets hurt, and Spears isn't one of them. Yeah, the, that scaling up uh, detail is huge. Um, and then uh, rounding it out, I think uh, I hit some some late round targets that that you would approve of. Uh, I, you were definitely on my mind when when I took uh, the Patriots defense uh, in in the fourteenth. I, I got the sense that defenses were going to start to come off the board. Uh, the Niners and the Eagles went off the round before, so I, I know it seems early and and it's runs afoul of of conventional wisdom uh, for most fantasy drafts in your home league. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing this, but I felt like the Patriots. Uh, especially when I didn't really like the the rest of the the skill options there, uh, I was good to take them. I actually would have taken Justin Tucker or uh, the Ravens team kicker had they been available, but they got they got picked uh, two uh, before I was on the Dang clock. It. But I know, right? But uh, Patriots defense, uh, I, I think you, you've really set the record nicely on, on them for this year. That they, they could be something serious. Uh, Terrace Marshall in the seventeenth, Josh Downs in the 18th and then rounding it out with, with, uh, with the man himself, Trey McBride. Yeah. Josh Downs goes too late everywhere. And this is no exception. I think if I could, if I could make one, uh, my most pointed criticism, John, you, you should have taken instead of, um, maybe instead of, I don't know, Marshall or I'm also a little bit lower on Valdez Scantling in a redraft format than I am in best ball. Like he's, he's the ultimate, like, I have no idea what he's doing this week kind of player oh yeah but uh i think he is it's so weird that this is happening even in nf even in like you know the sharpest of places nffc and in this format where they're specifically hoarding running backs after round 10 how the hell is keontae ingram falling to the last round like what is going on what am i missing here there's no one else on the depth chart aside from tyson williams and Corey clement james connor we're all afraid is going to get hurt and here is keontae ingram in the last round 
going after uh like Deuce Vaughn and and Joshua Kelly and Kyron Williams. Like what the hell is going on here? I am I am missing so much apparently. I mean, is Kareem Hunt going to sign with the Cardinals? What what am I not understanding about this? <laughs> Everyone chases these 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 nobody running backs and, and Keontae Ingram is in all likelihood a nobody running back himself, but the whole theory is it's just the if the nobodies play then they are as valuable as the so-called good ones. So Ingram's after Connor. Uh, anyway, I, I've, I'm just repeating myself now. No, you're you're good. And and again, with my uh, lack of of overall uh, running back depth, uh, Ingram certainly would have made sense there in the twentieth when I already had uh, two uh, tight ends with with Njoku and uh, Chig Okonkwo. But uh, you know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. If it took until the, the 20th round for, for there to be a true quibble, I think I ended up doing okay. Another thing that NFFC people will often do, probably to specifically do more running back hoarding, is they'll often only take one quarterback. So if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to imagine ways to do take part take more part in that running back hoarding, that's, that's another way to kind of clear the room for it. Yeah, so that that's that's good, you know, intel for anyone uh, that that is going to be continuing to do NFFC drafts uh, for the rest of the summer, just a few weeks away from from the start of the season. So uh, get them in uh, while you can. Um, but I think that's going to do it for us uh, here on this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Big thanks to the guys over at the NFFC um, for allowing me to to have a beat John McKechnie league over there. That was a blast on Wednesday night. And uh, thanks to our sponsors over at Fantrax and Circa and Rival Fantasy and, and over at Blue Wire as well. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.